0: hope you've been able to enjoy some downtime over the holidays. I definitely have. Since I know many of you are spending time right now working on next year's content, I wanted to end the year with an interview from last summer, episode 62. This is an encore of that. And in that interview, I interview Erica Heald. She's a content strategist and she gives a ton of practical tips when it comes to Planning, creating, organizing, and giving yourself grace about content. I hope you enjoy, and I look forward to spending time with you back here in the new year. I'm Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in a Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited to dive into our PR series. And share with you our guest today, Erica Heald. Erica is the founder of Erica Heald Marketing Consulting, where she and her team help organizations define and execute content marketing and social media strategies that drive business growth. Erica previously led and held high performance and grew high performance content marketing teams at Highwire PR, Anaplan, and Achievers. You can find her on ericaheald.com. And she also has a really interesting second site, Erica's glutenfree kitchen.com. Um, and you'll have to check that out for some great healthy recipes. She also, something we're gonna dig into is that she is the host of content chat, which is a Twitter chat and a link a LinkedIn live audio on Mondays at noon PM Pacific. So I am really excited to get into all things content creation including the social media side. So if you are frustrated, as many of us are when it comes to that, then you are going to want to pay attention. So thank you so much, Erica, for joining today. My pleasure.
1: It's great to be here. We get to talk about all my favorite things.
0: (laughs) Well, one that she and I were discussing previously, for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while, you may have gone through the thought leadership series that I did And that's actually where we're going to start with this conversation, because when it comes to content, it's so easy to just think I need to create content for the sake of creating content, but it's so critical to start with goals. And so I love that um, Erica likes to talk about thought leadership and how that plays a part into the way that you even structure and plan your content. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, first of all, how do you define thought leadership? Well, the
1: most important component to me of thought leadership is having a human being, a person, not just a brand, but having a person who's willing to go out there and share their opinion and that their opinions are the not so popular opinions. So people who are willing to get in there and be scrappy and say, well, actually, and have a conversation. So for me, that's the biggest thing is having that person who has these experiences Mm -hmm. and opinions that they're willing to share and to have dialogue about because otherwise it's just content and it's not thought leadership in my opinion.
0: I totally agree. And I feel like that can make such a difference between somebody just saying, what's the answer to my question? Copy paste it where I need it. Forget about the source <laughs> and someone who actually says, Ooh, I like this person. I want to follow this brand. So I Couldn't agree more. So when it comes to starting your content creation planning, how does that play a part in deciding what you should include?
1: Well, I really, um, I, I try to make sure that with any brand I'm working with, that we have a few different people who are interested in, you know, being those thought leaders. So people who are willing to put in the time and effort and have the different points of view that all ladder up into your brand strategy. So that way, you know, you don't end up relying too heavily on any one person because Mm -hmm. from a content strategy perspective, you're never going to get enough time with one person to fill all of your uh, content needs. Or if you do, that person's going to eventually hate you because you're taking up (laughs) all the time on their calendar and they're getting nothing else done. So um, I think it's really important to kind of figure out what your pillar topics are, what you want to be talking about, and then assigning like one or two people Um, internally who are those subject matter experts who are willing to be quoted and who are willing to go out there with their byline. Um, Because if everything on your uh, website or on your blog that you produce just says it's by your brand name, Mm -hmm. I think it's really difficult to be making any kind of connection with people. So that's to me why the thought leadership is such the important part of your content marketing strategy.
0: Good point. I like that. When, when you're talking about creating pillars, can you go into a little bit about what that is and how, just maybe one or two tips on how to determine what should be your pillars?
1: Sure. <clears throat> so for example, one of my um, clients, uh, one of my former clients, I've worked with them off and on for a few years, they are uh, Martech. And so they defined five different areas that they really wanted to be known for. And so one of them was a more operationally focused topic. One of them was really um, focused on a specific uh, C-suite persona and all of their kinds of concerns. One was around the future of work. Um, And then the last one was let me think oh gosh I can't remember what the fifth one was so that tells you the fifth pillar not very good if I can't remember it (laughs) after having worked with it I think whatever it was it was too aspirational so they had four of them that were really solid and aligned with their personas that had a person who wanted to be speaking on those topics and who had ideas to Mm. explore Um, And so we really, um, we sat down and we said, all right, these are our four pillars. These are our people. What do we think we would want to be talking about? And so then we defined those topics, but then we said, and what is, you know, unique about their experience or their opinion on this? That'll be that twist because you need to have that, that different element that will make people stand up and take notice. Um, But you have to have something interesting and different to say. So that was kind of the process of figuring out, what we thought the those umbrellas could be, and mm-hmm. then mapping out under them what they were. And so clearly the fifth umbrella, and I remember it was going to be the CEO's umbrella, um, that umbrella never went anywhere. It stayed closed.
0: Mm. Okay. That's very telling. I also like how you mentioned that not all of the pillars need to necessarily be a core keyword as you said one had more to do with the pain points of a specific persona which sure you yeah. could say there are there are keywords in that but i think some people might just see okay here's my industry or here's my business here are the top 5 keywords for that therefore that's my pillar content and how that's not necessarily giving people the full picture of helping you yep. stand out in the marketplace so i like that there are different ways you can really dig down into what that should be.
1: 100% because at the end of the day, what content marketing does that's so different from just doing SEO content or just, you know, doing any kind of, you know, traditional digital marketing is content marketing is really about understanding, getting to know your audience, the people that you want to build a community around and how you can serve them. So in a way it's kind of like servant leadership in which you know you're trying to be helpful at the end of the day. You're not trying to sell them with your content because that's sales content. That is something completely different. You're trying to be relentlessly helpful and useful with your content. So it's not always going to be about the keywords, although certainly they're gonna sneak their way in, sure. Um, but if but you don't necessarily want to have that be your pillar because it's it's hard to make a keyword be something um, that really connects
0: emotionally with a human. right. And that is so critical today. Um, so when you when you start working with someone and and you feel like, okay, I have an idea of your goals, I have an idea of your pillars and who's gonna speak on these and write about these. What are what are some of the things when you're walking it out, what are some of the, the first steps that have helped you make sure that the content that's created is actually driving business growth?
1: Well, um, a couple of things I do is I always make sure that at the start of any client engagement, we take a look at Ginny Dietrich's peso model and we're up to peso 2.0 now because mm-hmm. it really helps people understand how all these different types of content, all these different channels that content can go through, how they're all interconnected and which ones are kind of more adjacent to each other. Um, and I actually did a bunch of uh, writing for her as her chief content oh, officer cool. for a year, right when I was starting my business. So I'm deeply ingrained in the like, mm-hmm. start by walking people through, the peso model to make sure they understand that, you know, none of this stuff is happening in a vacuum. It's all interconnected. And the reason that's important is because then you're going to take that and you're going to see, all right, well, we're not interested in this channel or this, you know, part of the peso. We really don't have any budget, so we're not going to be focused on paid, you know, whatever it is, you're going to figure that out. And then you're going to take all those channels and they're going to be one of the fields on your editorial plan. Cause you're going to be putting together that plan that says, here are the channels we're going to focus on. Here's going to be the cadence that we're going to be um, publishing on these channels. Here are which audiences we can reach with which channel. And you're gonna be putting all those puzzle pieces into um, a calendar tool of some sort. Honestly, I like to use a spreadsheet. Um, I have other tools that are fantastic for other jobs, but for this, I almost always use a spreadsheet. Um, Mm -hmm. after having gone through a bunch of mind mapping exercises where you're taking a topic or a keyword and then mapping out, okay, well, what are some subtopics? What are some different ways that you'd approach it on different channels? How can I repurpose this? So really for me, that's where you're going to start is with that um, big gnarly spreadsheet where you just start putting in all the different things so that you can get the cadence and the mix and match together uh, before you create any content at all. And so if you do that, and you have your objective column, that's when you start saying, all right, we need to have some, we need to build awareness of who we are and what we do, or hey, we wanna drive people to sign up for our community or get people excited about you know, our podcast or whatever that is, you start putting those things in as your objectives. Um, so that way you're making sure you're creating content with that end objective, that end goal in mind. And then you just start creating and use things. Um, and I'm going to not say what UTM stands for because it's a long, boring uh, phrase. <laughs> but you're going to use something um, called a UTM, which is basically a little keyword tagging that you put at the end of your URL. So that way, when you're looking at your analytics at the end of the day, you can see, oh, hey, I actually, from that social media post, I drove three people to that mm-hmm. form on my website and things like that. So I'm a big fan of figuring out all the the... Uh, all the ways that you can actually track those things that would have otherwise been a little hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um and for those of you who aren't familiar with peso, it's paid, earned, shared and owned. So those are different different ways that you can reach your audience through ads, through um, you know, the press and getting earned media and through social media, through blogs or some of the other ways that that we're gonna talk about and it's finding the right blend for you. And I like how she said, it's not just about, ooh, what's trending in the marketplace right now. It's (laughs) what, what are our objectives? Who are our audiences? What are our messages? And where are the best chances of tying those in? And then I love how she adds that code to really tag the different pieces of content so that you can track and see what is actually moving the needle in my business. And whether that's a topic or a channel, um, I can just, yeah, that would be so helpful to have from the outset, just (laughs) planned into the process. And she's already kind of, I feel like she's on the cusp of going there. So let's go there just in, in talking about editorial calendars. So you have all these ideas, you have your objectives, you have your pillars, you have your big gnarly spreadsheet. So then how do you start to organize that? Well, I
1: always have that one tab that is ideas. So whenever you have Mm. an idea, no matter how far-fetched, even if you're like, I don't think we could possibly do this today, you just put it in the idea tab. So it lives there. It's not a parking lot. It's more of kind of, you know, a place where it's fermenting, it's percolating, it's going to, you know, sit there and you'll get other ideas. But you you start figuring out, all right, let's say that we're going to do a blog post every week. Your editorial calendar is going to have an entry for blog post. And it's going to have that with a date next to it. And it's going to be every other week you're going to have, um, you know, every week you're going to have those dates. And so you start plugging in those fundamentals that are the, what it is that you want to do and not the topic, but the, what it is you want to do and when. So that way you start holding yourself accountable for saying you're going to put the time um, and effort into creating that kind of content for that channel with this timing. And the reason I mention this is a lot of people push back on the idea of having editorial calendars because they think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be stale or irrelevant. I want to be able Mm -hmm. to react in the moment to stuff that's happening. And it's like, well, you do want to be able to be flexible, but there's nothing that's not flexible about having an editorial calendar because you're just saying, I'm going to do a blog post every Wednesday. You're not Mm -hmm. saying a month, you know, a year in advance, you know, in February, I'm going to write a blog post on this topic. You're just saying I'm committing to writing a blog post. And so, you know, it just I feel like gets you in uh, the right mode for doing it. So literally, I start going through and figuring out, all right, the different pillars I want to talk about this one, maybe I want to do. Uh, more frequently than the others. So I put in like placeholders Mm -hmm. and then I actually start going back to that idea sheet and saying, okay, this idea would be a really good one for the week that I want to talk about this pillar topic. And I just start slotting them in. And then I start looking at them and going, all right, which of these can I realistically do in the timeframe that I have them and start moving them around Mm -hmm. sort of like, um, you know, like you would move around tile's and just figuring out when I can actually get started. And then you just go and you get started. Um, And it's really that simple because you've put all the groundwork in place and you have your topics. So then it's like, okay, well, if I'm writing a blog post this week, then I know I can take that blog post and create social copy that we share the following week. And maybe I'm gonna take that and do a three minute video on the topic the week after that. So you can start creating those kinds of cascades um, from your content repurposing.
0: Yes, and I I think it's interesting because I have heard so many people talk about editorial calendars where they do get super nitty gritty, and they're like, "You can, you know, just do this three hours a quarter and lay out all your topics." And I feel like you build this mountain that you think, "Oh, I don't want to get started on that project." <laughs> exactly. So I think that's very refreshing that you're saying you're really just committing to time and a specific activity. And then you have your list. And as it gets closer, you can match up what makes sense then. Like, I know I want to cover this pillar, but I can say whatever I want, whatever works at the time related to that. I think that just because everybody is so busy, I think that can help people just get started and not feel as overwhelmed with it. So I, I really appreciate that.
1: When I mean, can- I've worked with so many people who are, you know, have that issue happen where it's like, well, we agreed we were going to write this blog post on this topic but so-and-so hasn't gotten back to me. And it's like, then you do something else. I mean, (laughs) please don't get so, don't get so, you know, concerned about that. Like, don't be slotting stuff in. If you're relying on somebody who's not a regular content contributor in your organization, give them a deadline, but don't, you know, don't slot them into the calendar. Wait until it's done and you've edited it and then put it in. Um, Like, don't make trouble for yourself.
0: I like that. So give yourself a lot of leeway in those deadlines, I guess. Make sure the deadlines are well in advance of when you would use them so you don't get into trouble there. Exactly. Speaking of that, what would you say are common mistakes that you see happen all the time in terms of creating growth-focused content?
1: I think one of the big things is people can get really caught up in what the people they perceive as their business competitors are doing. Hmm. And I think that that can be really damaging because then they can say, well, we need um, a blog post about the 10 best conferences in this, um, you know, topic area or industry to go to, because they have one or, Hey, they just did an ebook like this. So we need to, and it's like, you can't spend all your time chasing your competitor's strategy because you need to have initially come up with a content strategy that spoke to the people you wanna attract as customers and what you can provide that's differentiating. If if you're just chasing after trying to do everything that the competition's doing, you're you're not gonna be creating valuable content. Um, It's very unlikely that you're gonna have a unique perspective that's vastly different from your competitor about all these different topics. And, you know, people will start to notice it because people are usually, if you're interested in an area, you're going to be following multiple brands that are creating Mm -hmm. content. And you'll start to notice that this other brand is kind of like the knockoff version. (laughs) Um, Like how, you know, if you read Vogue or high fashion magazines, right, or follow fashion websites, you know that there are a lot of brands like uh, Zara, that that's what they do. They kind of knock off Mm -hmm. whatever the brand new fashion is. So they're... You know a cheap fashion alternative and most brands most of us who are out there creating content we don't want to be considered the cheap knockoff um, alternative at least i don't i've never worked with anybody who has had that as their goal
0: that is such a good point i feel like especially with social media and comparison itis but people look at their competitors all the time and not that there's anything wrong with looking at your competitors but it shouldn't drive your ultimate strategy the way that your audience and your story and your values should drive it. Because like you said, it kind of all ties back to if you're a thought leader, you have something unique that you want to share that isn't a copy. So I really like that.
1: And of course, we all have different channels we feel more comfortable with. And, you know, you might feel really comfortable on video, but other people might not. Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't push yourself into um, a format or a channel that you feel uncomfortable with, because you're not then going to have that enthusiasm or that confidence when you're out there trying to do it. And that's going to come across in the content you create. So it's so important to make sure that you understand, you know, who the right person is for the right channel um, to create content mm-hmm. that's really going right. to connect with other people.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, Having very honest conversations with the people who you need to be the contributors, who don't just say, "Sure, I'll do anything unless truly <laughs> they're you know they're comfortable in any type of scenario. But otherwise, you do kind of have to drill down into if it's, hey, why aren't why am I not getting this content? Well, turns out maybe I am really uncomfortable in that type of setting. So when it comes to budgeting and for people who maybe are in startup mode, how can they really have some success and gain momentum on a small budget?
1: To me, the most important thing, and the way that I have made the most of many a very small budget, is always, you know, when you're in that planning phase for a piece of content, is making sure that you design that content, that you create that content with all of the repurposing options in mind. Um, so the example I always give is even if I'm if I'm writing a blog post or an ebook um, or scripting a video, whatever that thing is, I always have a content template that starts with the objective, the pieces of content we're going to link out to or reference in the piece, um, calls to action, places I'm going to um, already created content that I'm going to add in um, citations or links to this content. So I plan out all that kind of stuff in advance. And I even make sure that whoever is creating the content also drafts some social copy for you know all of the different channels that we're using. So that way at the very start of all of this, we've thought through the kind of repurposing cases, where we're gonna um, use it, et cetera, and then going through and creating everything um, and having that document. And the reason that it's important to have all that stuff on one um, written document is it makes it then so easy even if it's visual content or um, audio content or video content, then you can go and you can use um, AI tools to create those repurposed drafts for you. So you can take that blog post and plug it into um, a generative AI or a natural language processing tool and say, hey, can you take this or the notes from this or the transcript from the interview I had to create this blog post? Can you look at all these things and create social media pieces, can you create um, suggestions for what a three minute video could be as an Mm. excerpt from the call that we had. So you can take all of those resources and because you've planned out and really thought things through, you can have a much quicker time using an AI um, enabled tool to then create repurposed content or at least the first drafts of that content um, to just speed everything along. Um, that way you're not starting from scratch with everything you're doing in every channel, which is right. you know overwhelming and exhausting. And none of us have time for that.
0: Do you have any specific tools that you've had a lot of success with that you would recommend? Yes, um, I actually have um, used
1: ChatGPT for quite some time, okay. uh, but I'm also using copy.ai, which has been um, fantastic for um, helping create derivative content. Um, let's see, I'm starting to see, um, or starting to test out how, um, Grammarly does with some of that kind of stuff with Mm. some of their suggestions, um, as well as Canva. Um, so those are, yeah, Canva actually pretty recently, um, introduced a whole suite of AI tools. Mm. So it's no longer just a fun, wonderful place to get templates for your visual content. Now it'll actually, um, do a lot of suggesting copy for you. I'm gonna uh, have to check that things. out. Yeah. So it's been pretty interesting to see. Um, and I haven't had a chance to play around, but I believe Tailwind also mm-hmm. um, introduced some of that. And that's such a great tool if you're uh, using Pinterest as part of your business strategy.
0: I like it. We'll make sure that we link those in the show notes. You have, you know, we've talked about a lot of the traditional content areas and you have some unique things going on that you do in your own brand. So I would love to know, she has a Twitter chat that you'll have to check out. Um, It is content chat on Twitter. And she also does that as LinkedIn live. So what drew you to those? How difficult was it to get up and running? And how's that helped? What kind of tips would you have for people who are curious about those? Um, so
1: I actually inherited Content Chat on Twitter about um, almost seven years ago. Um, I'd been um, a participant and part of that community uh, for the entire time I had been on Twitter. And um, the founder, the founder of the chat, had handed it off to somebody who pretty quickly realized that it was a it was a little bit more than they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stars aligned, and I raised my hand and said, "Hey, I'll take this on. This will be fun." Um, because for me my background um, was magazine journalism and I was like I love the idea of getting to invite an expert every week to come and talk about content marketing and getting to interview them and learn their secrets so I always kind of approached it as how can we have a really great conversation with an expert while also letting our community uh, come in and share their expertise ask their questions so um, you know, in our heyday, we would have over a hundred participants and a crazy number of um, tweets. So oh. it was really, um, really pretty busy, especially for being on a Monday uh, afternoon at noon Pacific, which yeah. is not the best timing. But you know, <laughs> it would get people started off um, for their week in a really lovely way. Sure. Um, and over the years, you know, we would try various and sundry things um, to really kind of build the community. And once they um, started having Twitter Live, we um, experimented a little bit to see would our community react positively with adding in an audio chat, and mm-hmm. it was fascinating because, of course, at first, what we found is people were still uh, tweeting through text while listening to the audio. A lot of folks wouldn't want to kind of pop on and um, you know ask questions or get up on the stage. Um, And some of the issues with the UI made it a little bit less, I think, user-friendly than I was looking for. So although we had a number, you know, we would have, you know, a dozen people, 15 people show up every time we would do the audio, we would still have more people tweeting on text. Um, Fast forward. Yeah. So it was really, you know, that was a learning experience, but we learned people did like the audio aspect of things. And, you know, in my personal life, I had, you know, in college, I was a DJ, so I love doing audio stuff. I'd been um, a co-host of a podcast um, in the past, and I was like, you know, I feel like this will work, but I'm just not, you know, I'm not sure what the right platform is. So at the beginning of this year, we piloted using LinkedIn um, audio and seeing, you know, Mm -hmm. will that kind of be a better way of connecting with a lot of our audience because they are you know, marketers and they're spending you know, their time selectively on social. And as people were shifting um, more of their time and energy to LinkedIn in my um, personal network, I was like, well, let's try it. And it turned out great. People love it because they can go ahead and they can RSVP so they get a reminder. People who haven't RSVP'd but follow me or my guest will actually see that we're live and can actually join in. So it's just, it's been a really nice way to expand the reach and Mm -hmm. basically have a live studio audience for a podcast is how I've been viewing it. And it really allows us to go deeper because I type pretty fast, but, you know, even with that, it can get a little overwhelming if you have a bunch of people typing at each other um, versus having that really targeted one-on-one conversation with my um, guests. So it's been awesome. And I love it. Um, you get we plan to feedback. keep up both. Yeah. I love it. It's so fun.
0: When you were getting started with that, were there tech issues, difficulties? <laughs> I mean, how user-friendly would you say those components of the platforms are right now?
1: <laughs> um, of course, there were definitely technical <laughs> difficulties. Um, it was hilarious. The first LinkedIn uh, live audio that we uh, scheduled was with Michelle Garrett who um, I worked with Michelle um, for a number of years as a fellow freelancer we were working um, doing stuff for Meltwater Um, we did all sorts of great influencer content for them so she was my first audio guest because I'm like oh it's good I'm gonna schedule it with somebody that I know I have good rapport with and we got on there in the green room kind of part of it. Everything worked great. We, I could hear her, she could hear me. And I have no idea what happened because as soon as I pushed live, um, then she couldn't hear me, I couldn't hear her. <laughs> the, the audience cannot hear either of us. So we had to switch back over to Twitter for the chat that day, which was hilarious. Um, and luckily for me, um, Alec on my team, Uh, We always tweets during these events when I'm doing things. And so he was able to quickly tweet, hey, we're going to bring the whole conversation back just to Twitter, one moment, please. And it was (laughs) hilarious. So I was like, okay. But we, you know, dusted ourselves off and the next week it worked fine. Um, But I'll say there are a lot of hiccups along the way uh, with the Microsoft interface. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to probably... um, move it to video. So that way we can use StreamYard, um, and have it be the video streaming, live streaming in LinkedIn. Uh, because I think that'll be a little bit better of a user experience.
0: Okay. Good tip. Good tip. Yeah. I've, I've worked with several podcasters who use StreamYard and yeah, it's it. People seem to really enjoy it as an interface. Very, very good to know how, when people are working on developing their plan and determining the channels, is that one that you would say, get some practice in some other areas before you jump? Or would you say, just go for it? What's kind of your advice for including that? And when, when does it make sense to include those types of channels?
1: You know, I think it's when you feel like you have um, a network of people that you can tap into to talk to, or when you feel like you, um, have the ability to be easily introduced to folks that would make those, um, guests that are going to have those conversations that will really connect with the people you're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. I I think that as long as you're that person and you like talking to other people, you feel comfortable doing it. I say, try it because Mm -hmm. if nothing else, you're going to have all these great interviews that you can turn into other content because you could take a conversation like the one we're having and create all sorts of, you know, short pieces of content, you could create uh, video snippets, you can create, you know, blog posts on the various topics. So it's never going to be a waste of your time. It may not, you know, go viral, because so few things do. Sure. Um, There's not going to be, you know, a a funny, adorable child running through, you know, in the (laughs) middle of this, making us all laugh. It's, you know, that's not going to happen. So I think it is really important to have those realistic expectations in the first place. But I'm a huge proponent of you know try one new thing every quarter, and mm-hmm. just see how it works for you. Because one new thing per quarter is a manageable number. You know, don't try a bunch of things and then just be overwhelmed and you can't look at them and really compare what you know pushed um, pushed your results over the you know goal. Because um, mm-hmm. I think then that causes a completely different problem too, of not being able to know what was working.
0: Right. Good point. And I like that you mentioned going viral. And so maybe you can just speak to that's not necessarily the point of content creation and your strategy. So what do you say about the importance or unimportance of going viral with your content?
1: It's hilarious because I will tell you that the worst Worst objective anyone can have for a piece of content is that the objective is for this to go viral, because that is not a business objective. That is a vanity objective. <laughs> it is, you know, it's about ego, and it's like, come on, that's not going to help you do business. It's like, are you Burger King? Are you some multinational brand that really is going to have that give you any kind of monetary value? Because, you know, if you are a normal brand, if you do have that going viral moment, you can take down your website because you didn't have a you mm. know, strong enough, expensive enough hosting plan to deal with the amount of traffic that you got because of something going viral. Further, probably those people that are excited about that viral video aren't your customers. So it doesn't matter right. how many people who are not your customers are excited about your content. That doesn't help you. So, you know, when I use myself as an example, my customers are, you know, either startup founders who have um, a series A funding or they are CMOs in a more established company that really needs help with content strategy. That is not the whole universe. That is not the whole ocean. I am never trying to reach a huge audience. I'm trying to reach a really specific audience with very specific content. And I think, you know, that is what's going to be really valuable for, um, for people is understanding who that core person is that they're trying to reach. And then your goal should be to reach that person and to get a response from that person, to get them to take the action that you wanted them to take as the objective for creating our content.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that you said all that you just said, um, (laughs) And I I think also just the consistency because I know when I am considering working with someone, a vendor or, you know, whatever it is, I want to not just see one amazing piece of content before deciding if I'm going to have a call with them or do a free trial or or whatever it may be. I want to see several pieces of content. So I think rather than having one crazy, amazing viral piece, it's if people are really serious about you, they do want to see a lot. And so that's just a testament to, again, the importance of having an editorial calendar and making sure that that content happens.
1: 100%. 100%. I mean, just thinking about it, there are people who go on one amazing first date and get married, and most <laughs> people don't do that. And it's the same with making business decisions. It's rare that we just go, wow, and immediately sign up for anything. Right. Right.
0: Um. Something else that I wanted to mention. So um, speaking, public speaking is also something that you'll see, Erica, if you start to Google content marketer experts, she's going to pop up and you're going to see that she's spoken at a lot of places. And I will say that a lot of my clients want to do more with paid speaking and incorporate incorporating that into their strategies. So what tips would you have for people to really get started and stand out and be able to get books that helped you?
1: Um, well, definitely,
0: you know, starting by
1: defining, you know, what your thought leadership strategy is going to look like, what you really want to be known for, and then just really focus on it. So that means, you know, not trying to have 85 different topics that you talk about, but really honing in on the stuff that's important to you, that you know, you can offer something really unique. Um, an example I always give is if you search for brand voice, you know, the first three uh, results are me and there are two of them are the same article on the Content Marketing Institute. And the other article that usually turns up is somebody who um, took one of those articles and put it through a tool, probably an AI tool to huh. create a word for word translation of the piece, um, oh. which, you know, it's flattering. <laughs> but it was also funny because then they used my my voice chart example from the wow. first uh, article. And I'm like, wow, that's... That's something. bold. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but then I spoke on that topic a ton. And similarly, case studies, you know, customer success stories. That's an area that I've really honed. I've done hundreds of them at this point. I did, you know, dozens of them for Slack. I have all of these really great examples and all of this experience So I've given a number of presentations on that topic. And it really, you know, for me, I started with um, a very you know, easy for me piece to do, which was I did kind of a use case for um, ANA, which was the um, Association of National Advertisers. Um, We were a member of that organization and they had um, like regional events. So that was my first like public speaking was at that event talking about how we'd gotten employees involved with social media. So how we built employee brand advocacy. Um, And then I took that topic and, you know, ended up talking about it a bunch of other places, Um, including, you know, the Content Marketing Institute. I've spoken at Content Marketing World a ton. And honestly, the first time it was, you know, Kathy McPhillips and Monina Wagner harassed me about putting in that speaking, um, you know, submission form. So, I mean, you got to just get out there and find those places where, you know, your people are going to be at and you put in those um, speaking, um, you put in those submissions for those free things where you're going to go and you're going to get a ticket. So you're not being paid, but you're going to get, you know, a $1,500 or $2,000 conference ticket. And you're going to be able to be there and speaking and talking to people who care about what you do. And you're going to keep honing that message. And then people start hiring you to come and speak at their event or coming to speak to their audience because they want to have that experience, but tailored for their organization. So for me, it was really just starting with something that was easy, low hanging fruit, you know, that felt really safe. Mm -hmm. um, And then taking and expanding upon those areas that I knew I had unique expertise Um, and pitching those um, speaking engagements at conferences where I knew I'd find my right people.
0: Well, and I like how you said it's not an act of desperation where you're coming up with 85 topics to speak on that you really want to know, who am I? What do I want to be known for? I had another guest in the past say that it's planting your flag and really just saying, this is exactly what I want to be known for and really driving that. So I like that. It doesn't have to be super overwhelming. It can just be, what do I know? What do I love to talk about all the time? And and I like how you said, start with those that have an easier in, where maybe you're not going to get paid, but you know somebody and you can get a ticket and it's exposure and it can help lead to the next speaking engagement.
1: Exactly. And you're going to get so many ideas for how you can build on that presentation by the questions people ask, you know, I always make a point when I do those kinds of big conference events, I try to always leave 10 to 15 minutes at the end for Q&A, which can be hard Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you have so much you want to say on the topic. But when you're able to, in the moment, answer those questions that people have, you really, um, you, you prove that you know what you're talking about, and you really help them personally, and they remember you for that you'll get you know notes from people two years later about oh i saw you talk about you know employee engagement and we finally got the funding to do this and we're putting your framework into place and you know i love you and i'm like thank you you made my day it's amazing yeah. Um, but yeah so it's, i think that's also just really important is to make sure you leave that time so that way you can find out what didn't you talk about that people care about or what are some other areas you can kind of go deeper in which will then also inevitably help you be better at the way that you talk to your um, audience.
0: Love it. Erica, before we leave, is there any final piece of advice that maybe we didn't cover that you think is really important for people to keep in mind with content creation or content planning?
1: I would really like for all of us to commit to no more random acts of content marketing (laughs) because it doesn't do any of us any good you know we don't need more noise nobody says i just need more content no one wants more content people want more useful content that makes them go oh my gosh that makes them go oh i can actually get back 10 minutes of my day because i consume this com- content so it's like don't create something just to like meet a slot in your editorial calendar make sure that you're creating something that you would actually read if you didn't work for your company, something that you'd share, something that you go, oh, wow, this was really helpful. I'm going to share it with so-and-so because I know that they have this issue too. So just committing to not creating, creating things randomly or without purpose.
0: That's a good filter to run everything through. And Erica, where would you like people to connect with you and find you? Um, I'd
1: say, you know, you can always find more of me at ericaheald.com um, and connect with me on Twitter. I'm at SF Erica, because I lived in San Francisco for a very long time. And I've had that Twitter account for a long time. Uh, <laughs> but you can also find the, the consultancy at Erica Heald on Twitter and all the other places.
0: Great. And we will have we will have that linked in the show notes, as well as she has some really great freebie tools that we're going to link different, um, guides. She has 61 templates and tools to boost your marketing value and how to create a thought leadership platform that earns people's trust, as well as four ways to share company content in an authentic and meaningful way, which speaks to my brand story heart. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Eric. I really appreciate everything you shared.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And until next time, have a great week. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility. Podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO, and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.